Welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Frog, looking after your people through COVID and beyond. In this episode, I talk to my Cambridge Mastermind group of very wise women, all who lead teams, either clinical teams on the shop floor of the NHS or work within other organisations. And we talk about what you should do to look after your team and look after yourselves in the new ways of working. We all had this initial surge of adrenaline, didn't we, when COVID hit us and we all worked our butts off to try and make sure that everybody was okay, everybody was safe and to adapt all our processes. But you know what, the the crisis is still going on, even if we are all starting to get back to work, back to school, back to -to face-to-face appointments with people, but many of us are still remote working and everything has changed. So there is a real challenge ahead of us, particularly for you if you manage or lead a team. Now, you may not have direct line management responsibilities, but many of us are leaders with a little L. Either you are a consultant in a busy clinical department, you may be a partner in a GP practice or say a law firm or an accountancy firm. You may be a manager uh, and have direct line management responsibilities for a few people in another high stress knowledge based organisation. But wherever you work, the more senior you get, even if you do not have direct line management responsibilities, you are always seen as a leader by certain people. And as professionals, it is also our responsibility to look after each other, look out for each other and make sure that we are all working as productively and we are all as well as we can be. Now, there are huge, huge challenges through the new ways of working. And in this podcast, we discuss these challenges. Firstly, the challenge of this weird hybrid of half face to face and half remote working, which is happening to us all with social distancing. There's the challenge of how you run team meetings when everyone is busy doing the day job and some of some of you aren't even physically in the departments. We talk about the challenge of communicating with your team through the new normal when actually you may not have any certainty about what's coming up, but you're supposed to be communicating things to the rest of your team. And we talk about the fact that it's actually some of these informal conversations that can be transformative and the importance of checking in with people on an individual basis about how they're doing and their well-being. So here's the episode and I hope it's helpful for you. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? 
Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So it's really brilliant to have with me on the podcast. I've got Judith Bird, Kynwin Mannell and Catherine Hayhurst. Now these guys are my, my posse in Cambridge and we like to get together every now and again and we talk about leadership and the challenges that we're facing and, and these people have really become a fantastic source of support. So I wanted to get them on the podcast because they are ladies who are full of wisdom. So these are, you're my wise guys, people. <laughs> No pressure then, no pressure at all. So first of all, let's go round and introduce yourself. So Judith, you start off. Tell us who you are and in what capacity are you a leader and a manager? Thank you, Rachel. So I work in audiology and hearing implants at uh, Addenbrooke's Hospital. So across two fairly separate teams, but two quite large teams, mainly audiologists, but some speech therapists, rehabilitationists etc um, so in total clinical and non-clinical people that's about 70 people so you're uh, so quite busy team of 70 people that's enormous um, and next we've got Kynwen Kynwen tell us who you are um, hello I'm Kynwen I I work in a sustainability and transformation partnership so you probably know that England's been carved up into six, uh, 16 44 geographies called STPs and I work in the workforce team in uh, Norfolk and Waveney. And you've been mainly working very remotely, haven't you, yes. recently? So we've got all that, that as well on top of the challenges of things constantly changing and, and all that sort of stuff. Thank you. And it's Catherine Hayhurst. So I'm a consultant in the emergency department in Avonbrooks. I'm part of a team of around 26 of us. And so I'm a sort of leader with a little L, so have been led and lead when I'm in charge of a shift and have responsibilities within the ED in particular mine have been well-being during COVID and mental health and frequent attenders. So lots of things and, and, and how many people are in your department Kath would you estimate? Oh, golly, I don't even know sort of 50 odd doctors a couple of hundred nurses and all the other extra it's probably far more than that I don't really know to be honest lots. That's, that's a massive team isn't it yeah great so my first question to you all is What's your experience over the last six months been? Because it's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? From suddenly lockdown on the, I don't know, 20, is it the 20th, 23rd of March, up until now, when we're recording this right at the beginning of September, as we're beginning to look forward into what's going to be happening in the, the new normal, although people hate it being called the new normal. So we call it the, the, new, the new ways of working. So what, what are some of the, let's start off with some of the real challenges of the last six months do you know but i think i would say so it's felt like three phases so the first phase of you know lockdown hitting and you kind of you go into overdrive you sort everything out and get everybody so in our teams you know there was very little audiology happening so then getting staff redeployed staff set up working from home ticking away at other things cancelling everything that was kind of phase one then phase two, 
adapting to new ways of working during lockdown so working out how we can do some services remotely and then phase three being the starting up face-to-face -face services again and kind of well that feels like at the end it's the end in some ways that's felt by far and away the hardest and I think probably where we've done our most learning I think and where the leadership skills have been most important and when you take your eye off the ball with that it's had the most impact and I think momentum carries you through a lot of the urgent phases and people really do pull together and I think you know I realized that I'm quite adaptable you know I kind of you I don't know took it all in my stride that was okay and I my team just amazing stuff amazing stuff done and it made, just made me absolutely full of pride about what we managed to deliver but I think the coming back to normal is really tough and I think it's been very easy to get swept, swept up into the enormity of the task ahead of us, getting things back on track and becoming very task oriented at the time when being people oriented is most important. And so when people have been through the fire and everything's trying to settle, you need it to settle well. And I think what I've learned is that we could have taken more care over people in that kind of most recent phase. That's really interesting. I have been reading quite a few articles recently about this, how, you know, at the beginning when there was a surge, when everyone was pulling together and it was like, don't worry, you know, your well-being is the most important thing and, and making sure everybody's safe and okay is really, really important. And we were giving people lots of allowances and, you know, really bending over backwards and not expecting too much from people. But as it's gone on and now we're entering these new ways, it's quite easy to forget, isn't it, about all the challenges people still have. It's not like they've gone away. How has that shown up at work, Judith? What's that look like for teams? It's been very different for everybody. And I think, so in fact, we've had one of our kind of senior team meetings today trying to unpack it a bit and what we could have, what we could have done better. And I think, yeah, you have to treat everybody as an individual you know everybody's experience of what they've experienced and the impact on them and the things that they find difficult everybody is different and so you can't make generalizations about how you do it and I think in some ways it's become clear that we are in a no-win situation that some people want lots and lots of information about exactly how it's all going to map out and some people find that overwhelming so there's an extent to which you can't win but I think we've had to get back to basics of making sure, taking really, really careful time to make sure that people have those quality one-to-one -one conversations when their concerns are heard. We can't necessarily solve everything, but making sure people's concerns are heard seems to be the most important thing. And I think also you know when you've got lots more to do and there's lots of extra stuff it's very easy to show appreciation for the extra stuff and for where people go above and beyond and I think I've really learned that actually for a lot of people when things are difficult it's fantastic that people have come in and just got the basic job done that is something to be celebrated and that we haven't mm. celebrated enough that we've noticed the people who've done extra 
but actually there's a whole load of people who have just been reliable and just done what we needed them to do without complaining and that definitely has got to be celebrated more as well. Have you found that, Kath? Because you see, working in the emergency department where presumably you're surrounded by people who thrive on emergencies yeah. and crises and quick, things yeah, like that. What's happened is that obviously at the beginning, the response is probably very different to how things are now. What, what have yeah. you noticed? So ours was like a massively speeded up, speeded up version of what everybody was doing. So we had pretty much a week or two to change the complete department. I mean, absolutely. You chuck everything up in the, in the air and start again, essentially. So massive high energy, running on adrenaline. It took us a little while, people just started doing stuff. It took us a little while to figure out roles. When that was sorted, that was things went a bit better. Lots of team meetings where everybody was engaged, uh, everybody pulling together. And then I guess as it settled out a bit, it wasn't clear when we were into the next phase, it just sort of settled a bit. And then you notice that people weren't quite as engaged in, in team meetings and that kind of thing. And then we've been in a phase of actually sending everybody off to have a rest. So people have been off for annual leave. And I think now we're coming back and looking at the winter, I think we need to regroup. And I think lots of clinicians will be feeling that as well. You know, people are trying to get outpatients back. And if you're in a, running a company, you'd have had your break and then thinking, right, how am I going to do the next three months? You know, we think in terms of um, till Christmas, don't we? Mm-hmm. So I think we, we need to figure out the decision fatigue and the change fatigue and figure out how often to do meetings how to communicate again i mean during during the really busy phase we were just communicating as much as we could by every different channel so huge uncertainty and i think one of, one of the things we did really well my boss kept saying look this is completely uncharted territory we don't really know we've only got two-thirds of the information we just have to make a decision we'll get some of this wrong um, and just keep telling us what, what's happening uh, and accept that it's uncertain that was really helpful and I guess to some extent that's still true. We still have a certain amount of uncertainty. Yes, I think we need to reset how we're communicating and doing team meetings and that kind of thing. Interestingly, people who are, all they do is perhaps, when I say desk office work, desk work, um, I've got it sorted. Whereas those of us that are doing clinical work and office work haven't got the office bit particularly well sorted, I don't think. So we need to figure out how to do better remote meetings. We need to probably meet each other a bit more often. We miss, you know, you miss those kitchen conversations. And people have been doing this for, for several months just remotely. I've got it sorted. I don't know. Have, have they got it sorted, Kynwin? What do you reckon? Do you reckon that we, you know, patient facing that are working remotely, working at home, do you reckon people have really got this the, the i think this kitchen conversations is really important you know when you pass in the corridor you know just quick how are you has that been replaced by virtual stuff or not really in some respects it has so i work in a team of about 12 people in our core workforce team and also um, many of us have been redeployed during this period into different organizations different part of the system so I think for us as a core team of 12, we've worked very hard to stay in touch with each other. So whereas before COVID, we were having team meetings about once a month. As soon as COVID hit, we moved to having two meetings a week. Uh, Once a week, everyone was able to come in and really have those well-being conversations as a group. And then uh, once a week, it was much more task focused. Yes, it's been a bit more constant for us through with the first right at the beginning 
a lot of our work just evaporated because we work with clinicians across the whole system. A number of us therefore found other things to do, but we still prioritised supporting each other as a team. And that is much the same now, but it's almost become harder over the summer. Maybe individual people with individual circumstances But I think that adrenaline that took us all through, whether we were uh, patient-facing or not, that has become different. And it's quite uh, interesting to see the different personalities and how they're coping. And some people are missing those corridors conversations an awful lot. And we already have a rotor set up for people to be able to go into the office, making sure that they're not in the office on their own. But physically, we can't all go into the office because there isn't enough space. I think that's a really, really good point that communication, obviously, when you're all remote, it's not as easy as when you're all face to face. But from our teams, it's been way harder now we're back and so we've had got to have more people doing their non-clinical time off-site so that we can social distance better and doing team meetings when half the people are in the building and half are not and you can't have more than a particular number in the room is really difficult and, and we've really struggled to make that work well I think that's Possibly some of that is infrastructure that we could improve that, you know, when you're at home on your own laptop, you've got it all set up to zoom perfectly on a trust PC. You know, you've got an old one. It doesn't have a webcam. You know, if you, if you want to kind of gather with four of you in one room and four of you in another room, getting the tech to work in work has been really difficult. Annoying. It's funny, isn't it? You have these absolutely amazing, I know, machines in the hospital that do amazing things and, you know, we can't even get the tech (laughs) to be able to work on a a Zoom call or whatever. So what's the solution there? Because it is, you're right, it's almost easy. If you're all together in the same physical place, easier. If you're all working virtually, easier. But it's this sort of very difficult hybrid. Plus the fact that, I mean, you guys, Catherine, Judith, your teams are massive. So, you know, a, a team, you know, with the best one in the world, I'm sure you can't really have a team meeting of 70, 70 people where everyone's voice gets heard. How do you deal with that? No, we haven't got the right answer yet. <laughs> yeah, we've, <laughs> we've, we've tried all sorts of things. We've mm. tried kind of planning ahead and booking really big rooms in the hospital so that we can get more people together. We've tried, you know, booking the official video conference facilities for important stuff. But we, I think we feel we haven't got perfect answer and you know with the informal stuff as well we haven't got that right you know that that's those corridor conversations are the glue that holds things Mm -hmm. together and I don't know we've talked about doing bubbles and things but the way rotors have worked we haven't you know haven't really got a solution so yeah I'm kind of keen to hear other people's ideas. Yeah Kath what have you guys been doing? Well, I don't think it ever works to have a a few people remotely and a few people in the room. I think that's uh, unless you've got really good video tech that actually zooms in on the person talking. What happens if you're at home? You end up looking at a a screen with lots of tiny people on it and you can't, you know, the wiser. So actually, when we've done it, we've had a couple of people in each office using a phone or a laptop and everybody else on their own screen. So if if you're in, you only actually two of you using the same device. Uh, The thing I think that works best is a bit of open time and a bit of chat on the, you know whatever your device at your program that you're using 
that if you've got questions that people can put comments down the side so that in a big group so that when we all meet there's 20 something of us not everybody's going to get heard but people will put stuff on the chat and that gets picked up um, and if you want an opinion on something asking people to put it on the chat seems to work better yeah, so just talking to my husband about how they've done things remotely and he said a bit like Kyman said that if you're working remotely you have to meet more frequently to be a bit deliberate about it. Check in and also if you set somebody a task you don't really know whether they've done it or not because you're not seeing them and you may not see the, the evidence so much you can't check on things how things are going so you have to be a bit tighter about following things up. So get your sort of procedures and, and processes in place and don't be frightened of having a bit of accountability with that person and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and keep checking in. I was just wondering, because one of the things that I talk to managers a lot when, when we're coaching is that managers feel very responsible for the whole of their team. And we, we start talking about actually, is there any way that you can help the team be responsible for each other and check in on each other? Have, have you tried any sort of peer peer support sort of getting, like you said, Judith, you try putting people into bubbles of, of people got into partnerships or do you know that there's definitely people looking out for certain people how have you used the rest of the team to keep an eye on each other or is, is that also really tricky thing i get it you're pushed for time and with over 200 episodes how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. do i mean it happens naturally i think uh, you know the two teams i work with there's a good culture of support and so a lot of that does happen naturally but i think it ends up being still people miss you know that it's not everybody all the time i think and i think you know with ideas i think ideas really flow when our teams are all together there's a lot of people who bounce really well off each other and finding forums ways of getting the ideas bouncing in the the new way of working is tricky i think i think it's important to make sure you know that your line managers feel really empowered to support to support people you know and that you're I think that's something else I've learned that your structure works and you know I can't I can't check in on everybody but I can check in that my checking in people are checking in on on people and you kind of have to you know check that that's happening and that people feel equipped to have you know to be the supporting line manager that their team needs needs them to be and I think supporting people in order that they can support is really important and what sort of things do your managers need in order to be able to support their people what sort of things have you noticed are helpful for managers i think they need to know what's going on so that they've got a bit of time to prepare for the questions that are going to come Mm. so one of the things i've put in place is that something that's going to come up in our whole team meeting that i try and send it around our senior team a couple of days in advance so that they've got time to ask questions and kind of get their head around it before we kind of drop straight in 
and that's something that you kind of learn the hard way that actually because what people do you say something and in the meeting everybody nods and says yes 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 and then they go away and as they talk about it they they start to digest it so so if you know you're intermediate level doesn't really hasn't really got to grips with what's going on then it all breaks down quite quite early so you know equipping your leaders with information and with time to be good line managers is quite key how do you make time in a busy clinical environment for that i mean kath have you seen people being given extra time to support their teams as well-being lead you know was there no, extra we've just time done it that... we've done it on the hoof i mean the, the time when it works best is when we are clinical and we're in we're in, we're in seeing each other face to face that's when the good conversations are like you say the creativity of problem solving and that kind of thing what we did was we we were sort of kick-started by by giving a psychologist for the department and she did some brilliant stuff she kind of did a weekly newsletter this is how you might be feeling at this stage during whatever stuff we were going through and then we had a drop-in Zoom call for anybody that I guess was falling through the net. And that, that was interesting. So there were people there were people who were shielding at home and they originally dropped into that one. And then they organised themselves into a support group. So sort of a new support group was needed at that point. And then a few people who were just struggling with different things who were perhaps on the edges of our teams so doing slightly different roles used to drop into that Zoom as well. So Facebook's turned out to be really useful. Um, we put, uh, we did a load of podcasts on what was happening. I guess partly explaining the uncertainty was quite useful. Uh, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve next, which is that we've got to socially distance and we've got to make sure we can offload ambulance. So that sort of stuff, and that's gone on a podcast so people know what we're dealing with. So we'll give them the problem as well as some of the solution so that they know that we're wrestling with it. And actually more people use that than they would read an email probably. Mm. Um, that's interesting. interesting. So they listen to podcasts more than any podcast, and they'd they'd look at Facebook posts and comment. And the, the Facebook thing is quite informal, isn't it? So people feel they can comment on stuff and get feedback, and that seems to have worked. Yeah. That so was. did you find that email communication works well, or not really? Or were people just so overwhelmed with COVID emails that <sighs> it, it was overwhelming? Lost? Yeah. Yeah. We brought back something called a team read, which is where you put the important stuff in it with a big red banner, and it says team read. And this is, you know, this is an absolute change in process that you must know. Right. And then our manager did a very, our ops manager did a really good job of a weekly kind of update how we're doing. There's lots of kind of really positive stuff, really encouraging stuff, thanking people. Um, and then he'd highlight all the other little bits and pieces that were kind of in process, I guess, so that people knew again what was happening. So I was, I was just thinking when you said, you know, this email was coming out saying thank you to people and saying you're doing a good job. And Judith's already mentioned it, the, of these sort of motivation hygiene factors. Hertzberg did a study in the 1960s published in the Harvard Business Review that showed the things that cause job dissatisfaction aren't the same things that cause job satisfaction. So in order to have a to not be dissatisfied at work, you need a decent salary, you need the correct processes, you need good equipment, you need reasonable relationships. But even if that's all present, you don't have job satisfaction. The things that cause job satisfaction are things like being thanked, you know, recognition and achievement and the work itself and purpose and autonomy, those sorts of things. Thinking about that, how, how do you think we all did with our teams, you know, the last six months in, in addressing those motivation factors? Or do you think they sort of went out the window while we were just trying to look after those sort of hygiene factors and make sure everyone was basically safe? I think we felt very early on a need to keep thanking people and supporting them. We also had a bunch of posters that rocked up that said, you know, be kind, 
say thank you. Remember that that person in front of you might be having a rough day or they might have other stuff going on. So I found that quite helpful. And those, some of those posters are still around. I keep thinking, oh, yes, there's the Be Kind poster. Um, Kind Rin, what did you experience from that point of view? I think with the remote team, we all either carried on with what we were doing or found something new to do. And some of us were quite individual in those projects. If you don't know what people are doing, it's quite hard to say thank you and give them recognition. So that really needed intentional understanding of what other people in the team were doing. And I think then that went wider with the people people that I was working with across a variety of organisations to understand what they're doing and what achievements they were having and being able to recognize and encourage those people took quite a lot of effort i think something coming back to something about meetings so we had our own team culture around meetings what was and wasn't acceptable but in the meetings wider with lots of different people from different teams we put out an etiquette which just said things about what you have behind you on your screen, that you should look as if you're coming to work, and all those things about making the tech work, and really about if you can, can put on your video so that you engage with the meeting, try and avoid doing other things at the same time, so engaging with those people. And uh, one of the medical directors, I really tried to copy this, every time you had a meeting with him, he got everybody in a really nice way to do a check-in and say well how is your day today and what are you looking at doing next so that everyone was able to speak and engage with that uh, conversation that we were having and everyone had an opportunity to bring themselves to that meeting did he do that at the start of the day of the meeting yes right at the start and how many, what's the maximum number of people you could do that with, do you think? I think maybe 10 or so. And I did copy that with a, a meeting that I had with uh, pharmacy leaders. And it just set quite a different tone for that meeting once we'd all had the opportunity to say something. It's the equivalent to sitting in, in that meeting for two or three minutes whilst everybody gathers, isn't it? You chat about, I don't know, the weather or um, what your children are doing or something. And that's yeah. the bit that you li- you lose in a big meeting. And we've, we've really missed that from going from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting. And they're all very efficient, very productive, but they do miss that chit chat and that social interaction to a certain extent. I think that the check-in chat is really, really important. And I think that some managers maybe were avoiding that a little bit because they felt that if somebody brought a problem or said, actually, I'm not, I'm not so good today, then the manager would immediately feel it was up to them to fix it and feel a bit guilty and feel oh, it's another job from a list. So it's almost easier just to get to, right, just, just onto the agenda. Let's not check how everyone is just, just in case there's something that's going to land on my plate and I'm going to fix. But I think often just being able to say how you're feeling and what you're struggling with is quite therapeutic, isn't it? And you often don't need anybody to fix it. And I guess one of the problems with, lockdown and through coronavirus is that managers can't fix quite a lot of stuff you can't solve the fact that you've got three kids that someone's got three kids at home schooling or solve the fact that someone's shielding or so you actually cannot fix people's problems because they're completely outside your zone of power and, and your control anyway did you, I mean, did you find that hard judith you know with all the team that you had you know 
a keeping a handle on how people were and b just there being issues and problems that that probably were way outside your control yeah and I think that's still true one of the things I've got into the habit of doing is always logging on early to meetings and you don't always get everybody through doing that over several weeks but I think I really like that that you then get that informal chat like you do at the start of face-to-face meetings when people are kind of gathering and they've switched their camera on but they're still kind of gathering bits of paper in the background you know there'll be a couple of people there and you can have a, a, a normal chat and I think that's quite significant you know things that you can do to keep things normal I think you know yeah that check in how are you doing you know how are you really doing how are you really you know does open things up and I think it is important and I think because everybody's everybody's struggles are different and you kind of need that background on what day somebody's having before you launch into things because you might frame it completely differently depending on the state that the person's in at the other end I think it's really important to have these check-in chats even well even without the coronavirus crisis you know i've sat in so many meetings in general practice you know lunchtime meetings regular clinical meetings and they very rarely start with a let's quickly whiz around the room and see how you're all doing i guess time is so tight that you know you never get through the agenda anyway but i think sometimes just a simple check-in can really change the mood of things or change the dynamics of the team or change the, the nature of the conversation that you're having I think it can only be a certain level as well. If you're in a meeting with six other people that you work closely with, you may not be wanting to say, I've had a really rubbish day, but you could actually just say, oh, I've just had a, you know, a really long clinic or I've, you know, something, it has to be that sort of medium level, not really deep, not really superficial, but something. And I, I guess that's the sort of, that's the level that helps us to know each other a little bit more, but without burdening each other with whatever stuff yeah. we've got. Well, it's building trust, isn't it? It's building trust yeah. in the team, little by little, and then you trust each other with more and more. Yeah. So we just talked about communication, the difficulty of meetings, the difficulty of actually how you keep on top of things and know how people are and the importance of t- treating everyone like an individual. I'm interested, if you look back on the last six months, what's the one thing you wish you'd done differently? I was redeployed to a, a project Firstly, that I could have delegated more. I tried to do everything myself. Secondly, I thought I did a great job of networking and getting to know lots of new people, but I didn't get to know all of the right people in a way that I could have more informal conversations with them and listen to them and find out what their needs and the demands that were on them and the things that they needed to meet and I wish that I'd had those conversations and it would have made things um, a lot easier if I'd have understood from the beginning. Things I learned along the way were actually to ask specifically how someone's shift was and actually, you know, was there something interesting? Was there something challenging? Because there's a sort of this tendency just to disappear, just to go. And actually somebody asking you how your shift goes. We've done that a lot anyway. That's something that, but I think I resurrected that because we discovered with a particular breed of people that, you know, we put out this thing, you can contact the psychologist for some help. Hardly anybody contacted. Mm. We put out a peer support. Lots of people offered to be a, a buddy, but no one else offered to be, wanted to be buddied. So I figured out as we went along that we ha- you just have to keep asking what do people need because they're not going to tell you particularly. That's just a particular coping A&E type 
personality, I think. You know, I think I wouldn't have tried quite so hard to get started again so quickly after lockdown. You know, I think I worked harder for the kind of three weeks getting us started again than I have ever worked in my life. And, you know, two months on, we've still got massive weights. I just felt the weight of our backlog. I felt the weight of it. And, and possibly just for that time became a bit too task oriented. You know, you, yeah, okay, we've done a lot of really good work since then. And maybe if we'd taken a bit of slower, we might have a slightly worse position than we do now. But we've still got massive backlogs. And, you know, and maybe I've now got to work harder to kind of concentrate on people a bit more for that time when we became very focused on the task. I have learned that even when there are exceptional reasons to concentrate on the task, even for a brief period, you have to still give your all to the people. And how would you do that if you were to write yourself a manifesto now for how to do that over the next couple of months without burning out yourself what would that manifesto say I think just just take a bit more time to do it you know that if you do the same thing over you know two weeks then over a week it doesn't necessarily change the end point but it gives you time to do it in a better way I think you know, something I have been very conscious of is I'm the sort of person who just like, that's done. So let's move on. And actually, you know, th- this crisis isn't going anywhere, is it? And we're all working differently. And we've got social distancing that's going to go on for a while. And people will be ill for a while and the people will be shielding and, and have school disruption, and everything for a while. It's not done and dusted. But that surge capacity we had at the beginning we maybe don't have any more. So I guess it's realising that we're in it for the long haul and not to either burn ourselves out or just not to expect too much from the team, really, not expect them to be superhuman. And for me, the big learning during lockdown is to give everyone a lot of rope. So actually make allowances for them if they get a bit snappy or they've sent a bit of a rude email or someone in my family is quibbling over something I've asked them to do that's okay try to not get offended by it and your gift to them is to just go okay like you said earlier Kath they're having a bad day that's okay and I hope someone else makes an allowance for me when I'm having a bad day as well so looking forwards what are your sort of aspirations for your teams over the next six months what do you think people particularly need we definitely need to nail down how we're going to communicate in the the new zone and actually maybe you know what you were suggesting Kath maybe doing weekly email maybe that is a better way than doing trying keep trying to do team meetings that don't quite work we've got to do a little bit of sifting right which are the things that really work it was like Covid was our fast-paced pilot of a lot of remote working schemes some of which are good quality and will be part of it for the future some of which were a temporary fix and that we will maybe let go so i think our next phase is properly evaluating what works and what doesn't and what we keep and what we lose and i think just taking stock i you know i think uh, what we've just started doing in our team the hospital's got just really great structured reflection tools for this year's annual appraisal process 
And actually, I've just kind of worked through that document for my own line manager. And I'm quite looking forward to doing that properly. We've kind of done it informally, but doing it in a more formal, structured way, unpacking what people's experiences have been and what they need for the next phase. And so I think, you know, in terms of what that looks like, until we've properly completed that exercise, we're not going to quite know what we need for the next phase because we haven't properly asked people <laughs> we've done a lot of looking back but we haven't do that do, done that you know looking forward with individuals looking back and look, take the learning but actually look forward and and ask asking people it's remarkably simple <laughs> technique isn't it what is it that you need what's going to make your life easier what's the you know one or two things that could change yeah kind of what about you what do your teams need looking forward I think our team are both excited and frustrated because what we are aiming to do across Norfolk and Waverley, our system, is support new ways of working. Something happened really quickly and excellently during COVID and we want to run with those, but we're also frustrated that in some respects everyone feels like they've done that change and they want to go back to the normal because that's safe that's what they know that's the structures that they have and people are still um, struggling as Judith and Catherine have described with so many different things now needing to deal with backlogs of work so I think it's holding those two things in tension so um, how do we support the team to do that I think we need to be planned and spontaneous and it is possible to have a useful and uh, a meeting where everyone can contribute and everyone can get useful things out of it with only 12 people that's quite different to a department of 70 so that really works but also those um, spontaneous conversations so I've had a number of um, what I call mentoring conversations they're not people that I mentor but um, taking those opportunities to have those supportive conversations whether it's about someone's career or their development when I'm just having uh, check-ins and maybe one-to-ones or very small meetings and I found that the uh, scheduled meetings that I've had with people that I'm their line manager sometimes we throw tasks out of the window and I just say well you have this time in my diary we will talk about whatever is useful for you so whether that's a well-being or something personal Actually, I've seen that that's been more productive in their work because they've had that time, that concentrated time with someone listening to them, and then they felt they're able to go away and do their work. I think that's such an important point because there's so many of us in in our workplaces, we are leaders with a little L, as as Kath would say. We might not have direct line management responsibility, but in view of of what our job is or the fact that we're more senior in departments or in in GP practices or whatever, we do have people coming to talk to us that we can have those informal mentoring conversations and career development conversations and just supportive conversations. So you don't need to be a line manager or formally in charge of somebody to do that and I think it's really important that we, we remember that what about you Kath I think we've solved quite a few problems because of remote working so we'll work shifts because of the nature of doctors everybody wants to have a have a say so actually now that we can do it remotely we can if people engage get more people in and we've sorted out how to do a bit about how to do sort of remote documents we probably need to work out our priorities we all have this all this stuff lined up pre-covid didn't we of, of, where what our particular goals were 
so they need to be reworked actually and some stuff just still needs fixing like how do we teach people remotely that still needs some work how do we do our own cpd remotely we've got to do practical stuff i think we've gone on for a while so i think we need to bring this to a close but i've just sort of written down a few things about you know first of all communication communicate 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 and actually finding different ways of communicating maybe in some of those meetings if there's a lot of information to give over maybe that meeting's better to be talking about how people are and to be connecting and the information goes to them in a different way say is it an email or a bulletin or, or something something like that Judith's point about we need to look forward as, as well as look back. It's all very good to review stuff, but actually we need to be looking forward and asking people. And then using the informal chats for mentoring and development conversations with, with whoever, whether you are a leader with a big L or a leader with a, a small L. And then what Kath said about working out what you want to stop, start and continue. You know, actually there's some really good stuff around remote working that we can continue there's some we'd gladly see the back of and I think you know just re-evaluating what people's goals and, and aims are in the light the fact we are still in a in a pandemic we're still in a crisis it's not it's not normal but I think also to remember it's not going to be like this forever either and it will as it's written at the beginning friend of Adam's it will pass whatever it is <laughs> so any any final thoughts about teams you know if you had you know one piece of advice for anyone out there who who feels that they're struggling with looking after their teams what would it be i would say look for a mentor yourself good advice i think just not giving up you know that i think that what can feel like everybody floundering you know people come out of it again and it can make you feel like you're not doing a great job but then the next week something positive happens and the the whole mood of the whole place changes so i think i think you just have to not neglect the basics and not give up it's important the resources are probably there aren't they are within your team or within your people if you're creative and want to listen and just problem solve i think you can usually get somewhere with it yeah yeah use your people to solve your problems and also remember that people sometimes just need to vent don't they they need to have a good old moan and a good old whinge. And, and if you're the leader, you, it could feel very personal like they're whinging at you. But sometimes they just need a good old vent. And then you can say, right, we've had our moan. What are we going to do to move this forward? What, what is it we can do? And try, just try not to take things personally. Try and separate the person from the problem and to be able to move on. Great. Well, I'm going to end it there because I think we're out of time. But just thank you guys so much for being on in your very, very busy lives and just sharing some of that. Will you, will you come on the podcast again another time? Mm, I've got lots of dilemmas for you, to <laughs> for you to help us out with. So that's great. So thanks, Judith, Kynwin and Kath. And speak to you all soon. Thanks, Rachel. Bye. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.